We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Acts 13, verses 1 through 12, and then we'll pray, and we'll see what God has for us this morning. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elemus, the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elemus and said, You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil and enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then, when he saw what had happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is God's word. Father, we ask that you would help us to hear and receive your word this morning, Lord, that by the light of your word and by the presence of your spirit, we would be transformed and made more and more to look into the image of your perfect son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So we just kind of talked about a little bit of what our name as a church means, right? And so 500 Missio bucks to whoever can tell me, what does Missio Day mean? Mission of God. Good. All right. One day we will have a, a store where you can redeem your Missio bucks. Right now they are worthless, but you got 500 of them, so that's cool. The mission of God, it's a Latin phrase, right? Uh, the invitation is to say, hey, we want to live into our name. Just because a group of people decided to start an expression of the church and name it Missio Dei, the mission of God, does not necessarily mean that they will engage in the mission of God, does it? But what it is, is an invitation to say, hey, let's come and live into this reality that we know. Uh, names have a lot of meaning. There's a lot of names we just read in chapter 13. And I think there's some significance in a lot of the names there. I know that today we don't really like think about the meaning of names as much. Like when you have a kid and you go to name your kid, you're just like, this name sounds really cool, right? I, I saw this in a baby book of names. I like the ring of it. Or maybe it's like, hey, yeah, it comes from my family, right? So there's some more significance there. We were trying to be intentional with the meaning of our names with our kids. Uh, but if I'm honest too, a lot of it was like, oh, I like the sound of this name. 
And then we lucked out when we said, well, let's look up the meaning of it. Oh, I like that. That works too, right? Uh, But Liam's name is Strong Protector. And when Liam was younger, he was anything but a strong protector. I remember one time he was about one and his older brothers were around four and he's sitting on top of Jonas, pulling on his hair and just pounding him. He knew how to make a fist already at one year old, right? And just pounding him and giggling. Like, I was like, there's something off about this. So Jonas is sitting there crying and I'm like, dude, throw him off of you. You're three times his size. And Jonas is like, I don't want to hurt him. He's so little. So that was the difference in their, their personalities, right? And I was like, at least just roll over, you know, and he'll get off. So we had lots of conversations with Liam as he was younger about what his name meant. Hey, do you know what your name means? It means strong protector. Do you think you're being that right now? He's like, no. Like, what, are you, what are you being? You're actually being like a strong aggressor, <laughs> the person that people need protection from. And so we'd have these conversations about how Jesus is our strong protector, and he didn't do it through violence, but he did it through love, right? And, and that he gets this opportunity to live that out and express that every day in the way that he treats other people. Here's the thing. By the grace of God, we have seen so much growth in him. Like, Liam is a sweet kid. He really does look out for other people, especially when he thinks they're being mistreated. He, he's constantly thinking about what is happening to this person, and is that fair, right? And so in a lot of ways, Liam is starting to live into that name, Strong Protector. The other day, though, was, uh, like a week before school started, we were driving in the car, and he's like, hey, Dad, I got a question. Do people have to be the thing that their parents named them? And I was like, oh, here we go. Are we regressing here? What's happening? And he's like, he's like yeah, just because you gave someone a name, does that mean now that's what they are? And I was like, no, that's not what that means. Uh, I, I was like, uh, names used to have a lot of meaning. In our culture today, they don't as much. But we do think about what your name means a lot, and we do call you to live into that identity. I said, for, for us, for our family, mom and I want you to be a strong protector, and we try to equip you and give you the training you need to live into that, and we put that identity before you, and we are inviting you to live into it. But every single day, you have an opportunity to choose whether you're going to live up to that name or not. And some days you do, and some days you don't, right? But this actually led into a deeper conversation where we got to talk about how we have been given an identity, a name, in Jesus. And every single day, we have an invitation to live into that name and identity in Christ. And that identity was given to us. It wasn't something we earned or accomplished through our actions, but through the work of Jesus, we now can be children of God, brothers and sisters, a family, sent ones, empowered by the Spirit. We get to even be uh, strong protectors to look out for the vulnerable, right? To care for those who are orphaned, widowed, oppressed, foreigner. This is an identity given to us, but every day we have the opportunity to walk away from that identity and live into something else. It doesn't mean that you have forfeited that identity. It means you're just not being what you've been called to be. So we had this great conversation on the way to cultivate, and it was like a 10-minute drive, 
and we crammed a whole lot in a short amount of time. I don't know how much he got, but it was a really good conversation because it was a really helpful reminder for me about my identity given to me by Jesus, and am I living into that? And I share all that because I think what we're seeing in chapter 13, what we just read right now, is someone who has been given a name who has chosen to become the exact opposite of it. There's two names listed in here that were maybe kind of confusing that are actually the same person. Bar-Jesus and Alemus. And so we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But he was given one name that he had the invitation to live into, and instead he chose to be the exact opposite of it. So let's look at some names, right? It starts with the church in Antioch, which is, by the way, a huge, like, prosperous city in the Roman Empire. And it's very diverse. There's people from all kinds of backgrounds, just like a big melting pot, living in the city of Antioch. And the church, this small group of believers following Jesus in that city, reflected that very well. You have just some of the prophets and teachers there, so some of the leadership there. You have Barnabas. Now, Barnabas means son of encouragement. That first section of his name, that first syllable, bar, is an Aramaic phrase that means son of. And so actually, if you have ever been to a bar mitzvah, that's what that means. It's son of the commandments. Because what that 13-year-old boy has done is studied the Torah and studied the commandments of God, and he has to recite them at the bar mitzvah, right? And that's why a 13-year-old celebration for a young girl is a bat mitzvah, because it's a daughter of the commands. So just hold on to that, lock that in for a moment, that that phrase bar means son of, okay? And we'll come back to that later. So you got Barnabas, you got Simeon, who was called Niger. Now, Niger means black. He's from uh, African territory, and most people believe he was a black man, right? It's just as simple as that. Then there's Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is also an African territory, but Lucius means light. And in fact, lots of uh, historians looking at this have said it has also been just used around in that culture for white person. So if there's a white man, you call him Lucius. So you literally have black man, white man, right? They're, they're purposely listing these side by side here. Uh, then you have Manaean, which means comforter or leader. Now here's what's interesting about Manaean. Manaean is a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And then he says, oh, and Saul was there, by the way. We'll get to Saul. Herod the Tetrarch. There's a couple different Herods in the Bible, okay? This particular Herod, the Tetrarch, who they're talking about is the Herod who had John the Baptist slain, who had his head delivered on a silver platter. My translation I just read says that Menaean was a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Actually, the, the original Greek language there says they shared the same wet nurse. They came up together. They were boys in the same royal court. They knew each other well. There's a familial tie. What's fascinating to me about that is this guy who knew Herod very well, who was oppressing people following after the kingdom, who had John, Jesus' own cousin, murdered. Manaean is now leading a church following after Jesus in the kingdom. 
And his name means comforter. He's choosing to live into that name now instead of oppressing the people of God to bring comfort to them. So I, that first like, sentence right there in chapter 13, I think we can gain so much from. There's this very eclectic group of people coming together to lead this body of followers of Jesus. You got someone who was oppressing the church. In fact, you got two of them because what was Saul doing when we came across him earlier in Acts? These were enemies of the followers of Jesus. And now they're not just leading, they're caring for a community of people following after Jesus. Saul, uh, we won't go too much into the meaning of his name, but most, it was a very common name for Hebrew people at that time because it was a reminder of a very prominent king that they had in the Old Testament, Saul, right? And so Saul was a tall, strong, handsome-looking man who was their first king. This was a, it was a powerful name in the Hebrew community. It wasn't in the Greek culture. It actually meant uh, someone who was kind of soft, you know, like not really strong at all. It was the opposite meaning. And now he's entering into a position where he is meant to go and bring good news, powerful words, but words of encouragement to a lot of Greek people. And so what do you do with a name like that, right? How is that received? Well, we're going to hear a little more about that in a moment. But as they're worshiping, Barnabas and Saul are sent off. And they're sent to go bring the good news. And so they go out and they're sharing the good news. And then word of that comes to a guy named Sergius Paulus. He is a, the word is proconsul. We don't have a word for that. It's basically like a Roman governor, right? So he's a, he's a politician, but he's an official. He holds some type of status. And he's got this dude following him around named Bar-Jesus. Now, when I was younger, my mom worked three jobs. One of those jobs she did was selling roses in bars at night. And she loved being able to strike up conversations with people in the bars and start to tell them about Jesus and invite them to church. But this is not that kind of bar Jesus, okay? When I was a little older than that, uh, around 18 or so, I used to go with some friends down to Mill Avenue in Tempe, and we would walk the streets and pray, but we would also start these like freestyle circles, And so people would come up and they'd start freestyle battling with us. And we were trying to share the gospel through our freestyle. And sometimes you would pull people aside and be like, man, what did you mean when he said that? And you get into these great conversations and you start praying for people. And in the hip hop community, when you are rapping a verse, you might say you're spitting bars. This is not that kind of bar Jesus either, okay? It's not Mill Avenue freestyle bar Jesus. What did we say bar meant? Son of. Does anybody know what the name Jesus meant? It's actually the same name as Joshua. The actual way they would have said it was Yeshua. Anyone know what that means? I think I heard someone whisper it, but they're not super confident about it. But I think I heard it right. It's salvation. It's that Yahweh will save. Yeshua, Yahweh saves. So this guy's name literally means he is the son of salvation. 
Why do you think his Hebrew parents, remember, we're told he's a Jewish man. Why do you think his Hebrew parents would have named him Son of Salvation? Do you remember the time they're living in where they are no longer a nation of their own, where they're an oppressed people, where they're told by the Roman government who to pay taxes to and who is Lord, and it's Caesar, but they're waiting, they're longing for the day when the promised true Lord, the Messiah they were told about through the prophets long ago, their ancestors have passed this down to them over generation and generation. It's in their holy text, in their scriptures, that one day a true rescuing, saving king would come and release them from their captivity and establish a nation for them again and that their world would be made right. They're awaiting this coming king from God to come and bring them salvation. When when his parents gave him this name, Bar-Jesus, likely it was a meaningful prayer and cry for, yes, let the salvation of God come. We're awaiting the salvation of Yahweh. That's a good name. He's got a really good name. It sounds really weird to us now. Bar Jesus, right? But for that culture, that's a beautiful name. It's a hopeful name. It's a powerful name. But then we're told he's also called Elimus, which means the sorcerer. Now there's something kind of like ironic about this. It's, it's a little bit of an oxymoron, right? Jumbo shrimp. He's a Jewish sorcerer. Right? A Jewish man who's awaiting the salvation of Yahweh, who's dabbling in sorcery and witchcraft and dealing with other spiritual beings in order to kind of show a power to the people around him. And it's working because the Roman official, the governor, Sergius Paulus, is like, hey, you come follow me around. He makes him an advisor. Remember, they didn't care much for the Jewish people. But he's like, this dude has some kind of power. He has some kind of authority. People look up to him. People respect him. Come join my crew, and you could work for me. And it was a pretty, like, posh life. That's why many Jewish people also, that's why the tax collectors would do what they did, because it was like, you can live comfortably in the Roman Empire, because it doesn't look like the Roman Empire is going anywhere. So just give up what you knew before, and come find an identity and a name for yourself here. He's transferred his name, Bar-Jesus, son of salvation, awaiting the salvation of Yahweh to make another name for himself in the Roman Empire, to show some kind of power and authority and presence among the people he does day-to-day life with so that everyone who sees Alemus the sorcerer knows, oh, this dude, he's got something. Let's look to him. He's building a name for himself. So now you got Barnabas and Saul, right? You got the son of encouragement and wimpy man. (laughs) That's the best, uh, most PC way I could translate how they would have thought that name meant, right? And they're coming and they're preaching the message of Jesus. And Bar-Jesus, Elimus, he doesn't like that. It's a threat to him. It's a threat. 
So he tells the, the proconsul, he tells the governor, hey, don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. They're insane. This is me paraphrasing now. But he says, don't listen to that. Turn away from that, right? And he's trying to move him away from the message that Barnabas and Saul are bringing. And then you have this uh, wimpy man, Saul, get very blunt and direct and forceful with Bar-Jesus. What does he say? You, this is verse 10, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil, an enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? I'm going to pause there for a second before we get to what he says next. It's kind of reminiscent of when Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. Like Those are some bold words, right? Here's one thing I want us to know. Before we leave here with the temptation of like, do you see, like I, I can talk that way to anybody who doesn't seem to be living in the way of Jesus that I think the way of Jesus should look like. Like, no, no, no. It says right before that, filled with the Holy Spirit, Saul said this. God himself wants to give this message to bar Jesus, okay? And so we have to be very cautious about uh, taking these types of words out to other people, right? Because Jesus actually had very kind and gracious words for sinners, and he had very strong words for people who thought they were in God's graces because of their actions. And that was bar Jesus. He thought he had some kind of power from God because of the things he could do. God had some strong words for that, but this was the Spirit speaking through Paul, okay? So be cautious with your words. Be gentle with your words. Be loving with your words. That's what we're called to. But every now and then, man, Spirit's going to say something bold, right? And that's what happens. Here's the interesting thing about, we, we talked about all the other names. We talked about Saul meant. This is the first time we hear Saul, by the way, who is also called we didn't get that at Saul's conversion, his encounter, when he went blind and he saw Jesus. It wasn't like, oh, and now, from now on, we're just going to call him Paul at that moment. Acts, the scripture continues to refer to him as Saul until this section here. Saul, if we're getting all the meanings of these names, who, by the way, is also called Paul, because Paul was a more common Greek name. Do you remember Saul would have been a name common in the Hebrew culture, not so great in the Greek culture. But Paul was a very common name in the Greek culture. He made himself one of them. This is the guy who wrote later, I will become all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. He now knows that he's being sent into these Greek territories with the message of God, and he's willing to lay aside his old identity, what was very powerful and prominent in his culture as a Jewish man, to say, hey, I'll take on this other name for the sake of Jesus being made known. It's not so wimpy, right? I will, and that, that power, that bold move, comes from a laying down of himself, not from a fighting for his position but a laying down of his old identity. So Paul would have been more acceptable as just a normal, regular name. And he goes in with this powerful message to say, don't look at me, look to Jesus. I don't think so. Incidentally, it also in the Greek culture, that name meant humble. For him to go from a strong, powerful king name in his culture to say, I will just be 
a man here to take on that humility, to set aside his own identity and find a new identity in the powerful name of Jesus. And in that power, he confronts Elimus the sorcerer. Not his own power. In his humility, finding power in the spirit, he confronts Bar-Jesus. And Bar-Jesus, son of salvation, you are not living into your name. What does he call him? You are a son of who? The devil. Do you see what he just did there? You are not living as a son of God saves us. You are living as a son of the devil. You have forfeited that name and you have took on this identity. This is what you're living for. How long are you going to keep doing that? And what he does next is he just really calls out what's spiritually true and says it's going to happen physically so he sees, right? So in verse 11, he says, Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind. You will not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and darkness fell on him. Again, this is not Paul's power. This is God. This is the Spirit. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Does this story sound familiar at all? In the life of Saul, who is also called Paul? Right? A story of someone becoming blind as they encounter the true power of God. It was Saul himself. Remember? He sees Jesus and he sees his glory. And he goes, Lord, who are you? Here's the difference, is Saul, though he was persecuting believers of Jesus, he thought he was doing it for God. And when he saw the magnificence and the glory of Jesus appear, he immediately knew that this was someone stronger and greater than me, and he humbled himself. Who are you, Lord? Right? And so after a while of being blind, Jesus helps him to see like to truly see for the first time in his life. And God actually sent someone to go and lead Saul around while he was blind. What did we just hear happens with Bar-Jesus, Elimus the sorcerer? He goes blind and he starts looking for someone to lead him around. He, he, he's lost. The difference is the humility that he didn't have, right? He, he knew he was fighting against the ways of God. He knew he was building a name for himself. And when the power of God showed up, this time through the message of Jesus, not through a bright light, he fought against it instead of bowing down to it. No, I will keep my name and my position and my status and my power, my identity. I'm not going to give it. I'm not going to lay it down. I'm not going to lay it aside for the sake of what you're calling me into. So he goes around fumbling blind still. It's a different outcome. I got to wonder, like I read this, and I wonder how much Saul or Paul was hoping this would lead to the same outcome he had, right? Like he had that experience, and he came to know Jesus, the giver of life, the giver of sight to the blind. And I wonder if in the back of his head he's going, man, I hope, I hope Alima sees now. Unfortunately, we're not told that. And we're reminded that we have the opportunity every day to either see who it is we're being called to be or to turn away from that blindly and try to fight for our own identity, 
a name for ourselves. So that's the challenge, but it's also the invitation for us even still today. Are you willing to lay down your identity, this thing you've built for yourself in order to follow Jesus and to truly see what life really is? And for many of us, we've said yes to that, right? But here's the thing. There's a, there's a temptation to turn away from that every single moment of your life, every single breath that you take. And I want to remind us that just like the spirit was present still there with Paul, years after Jesus revealed himself to him, God is still with us today and he will give us the power. He will give us the ability. He will give us the strength. He will give us the authority to continue to say no to that old identity and continue to say yes and walk in the name that he has given us. And this is why Jesus says, I am calling you, I'm sending you to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of. What name have you been given? The name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You are a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. Will you live into that, church? We can. Because Jesus gave up his life. He laid his life down in order for the Father to be glorified. And because of that, he has now been given a name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, all will bow down. Every tongue will confess that he is king. He's Lord over all. And so in the same way, we enter into that death like Jesus did. We lay ourselves down, and in his strength, in his power, we get raised to the newness of life with a new name.